wish everyone could be able to stand where I am and see what I see. It's always a thrill to walk into the pulpit and look out over the audience and see the pews filled and see families together. I know many of you are here today, or some of you are here today, visiting with us because you want to honor your earthly father. You want to let them know how much you appreciate all that they have done for you in this life. I think it's also appropriate that we are gathered together here this morning to worship our Heavenly Father, who has provided for us, according to James, every good gift and every perfect gift that comes down from above. And I want to encourage you to spend your time today as you think about honoring your physical father to also think about our Heavenly Father. A few weeks ago, we began a series of lessons called In the Valley of Elah. If you'll remember, the children of Israel were encamped on one side of the mountain in that, va- uh, that valley, and on the other side were the Philistines. Goliath was in the valley taunting the children of Israel, calling upon them to come out and to fight. All of the Israelites were shaking in fear. On the other hand, you have David, a young man, willing to step up to the challenge and walk down into the valley of Elah and fight the battle and win. We began this series of lessons called In the Valley of Elah because each of us have to walk down into our own valley. The valley is our time here on this earth. We have to face challenges that sometimes are greater than we can imagine. We have to face foes that are so formidable that it appears that we're fighting against a battle that we cannot win. I would like to focus your attention this morning on battling doubt, battling fear. I'd like to use as a a basis of our lesson Peter, as the Lord is walking across the Sea of Galilee, it's in the fourth watch of the night. It's sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The Lord has been on the mountain praying. The disciples are in the middle of the sea. And here comes the Lord walking. And Peter looks at the Lord and said, Bid me to come to you. And Peter steps out of the boat. He begins to walk on the water, but... As he begins to see the waves boisterous around him, his faith begins to waver, he begins to doubt, he begins to fear, and he begins to sink. So I ask you the question, do you ever lose your confidence? Do you ever feel as if you are not able to face the task that are before you as a Christian? Are you able not to fulfill the jobs which God wants you to perform. That's worthy of thought. You see, Peter was enthusiastic about the prospect of being able to step out on that water and walk and see the Lord and be able to, um, you know, demonstrate his faith. But you see, reality began to set in because Peter looked around about him and the waves were very uh, difficult. It looked as if one of those waves could knock him down. And he changed his focus away from the Lord 
to the situation in which he found himself and things changed and he began to sink. And you think about yourself. You think about how external conflicts can cause you to doubt, become discouraged, become faithless, begin to worry. Oh, it's not just your problem. It's all of our problems. It's a battle that everyone faces. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, when Paul went to the area of Macedonia, he faced a number of challenges. He faced a lot of difficulty. And he put it like this, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Does that sound like you as you look at your daily life? I don't know if I can make it. One battle that must be faced is doubt, discouragement, and a lack of faith as the Lord looked at Peter and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Maybe the Lord looks at us and says, You need courage. You need conviction. You need confidence. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at some examples that are provided for us in the Bible of people who went through a period of time with a crisis of confidence. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can face it. Then we want to look at some encouragement that can be derived from the scriptures of, yes, we can, yes, we can. And then finally to look at the expectation that you and I can have that God will be with us. Some lessons are preached for information's sake. This will have some of that. Some of our lessons are preached to inspire, to encourage, and to motivate. That's the primary message in this lesson. Let's look at some of the examples and some people suffering this crisis of confidence. If you want to turn with me in your Bible, we can go back to the book of Exodus to chapter 3. Let me give you a little bit of the background as you prepare to read this section of Scripture with me. Moses had been born and he had been reared by Pharaoh's daughter. However, as he reached a certain age, he began to see that the children of God, the Israelites, were being mistreated by the Egyptians. And he chose to side with them. One day he observed an Egyptian man hitting one of the Israelite men. And the Bible says he looked this way and he looked that way. He looked all around. And he killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. The next day, two of the Israelite men were fighting. And Moses sought to intervene to try to get them not to be at odds with one another, and they said, Are you going to kill us like that Egyptian? It became known to Pharaoh, and Moses fled to Midian. Midian was a long way away. And there he married his wife. He served as a shepherd over the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. And while he was tending those flocks, God appeared to him. And God had a message for him. 
And that's where we go to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You see, 40 years earlier, Moses had believed himself to be of that strength, to be of that capacity, but he said, now I don't know if I can do that. You drop down to verse 10, uh, verse, yes, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am of a slow speech and of a slow tongue. Lord, I can't do the job that you gave me to do. I can't talk well enough. Verse 13 of chapter 4, But he said, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Please don't ask me to do it. Ask someone else to do it. I can't do it. I don't have the power. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. Does that ever sound like some of us? God calls us to do a job and we say I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. If you'll turn with me now to Numbers chapter 13, you'll see another situation where there's a crisis of confidence. This time, it comes from individuals, but it affects the whole congregation of Israel. God had led the children of Israel to the southern part of the promised land to a little city named Kadesh Barnea. And there they were to send out 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, to spy out the land. God had told them that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, and they would be blessed if they went into that land. Beginning with verse 30 of this section, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it were men of great stature. Oh, sounds like another Goliath. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Their crisis of confidence was, we can't take this land. Joshua and Caleb said, we can. The children of Israel did not believe Joshua and Caleb. For that reason, they wandered for 40 years till that generation of faithless men died in the wilderness. See, a crisis of confidence can get you killed. Let me give you a third illustration. If you go to the book of 1 Kings to chapter 18, let me set the stage for you. Elijah had prayed that it would not rain And the situation in Israel, the northern kingdom, had become very dire. Uh, 
the people just didn't have water. Their animals were starving. Ahab was the king. Jezebel, his wife, was the queen. And rather than the people worshiping God, they had changed to worshiping Baal. I can imagine it being very similar to what is taking place in our country right now. How that at one time you looked around about you, most of your neighbors, they may have gone to a denominational church, but at least they worship the God of heaven, the God of the Bible. But with the arrival of Jezebel, the focus has changed away from the worship of the God of the Bible to the worship of Baal. And so... As the events transpire in chapter 18, Elijah prepares a contest on the top of Mount Carmel. And he encourages Ahab to bring all the prophets of Baal there. There's 450 of them. And they're going to have a contest there. They're going to make altars and see that the God who answers by fire is the true God. In fact, He challenges the children of Israel in verse 21 of chapter 18. How long will you go limping between two opinions? If God is God, serve Him. If Baal, then serve Him. And I'm sure all of you know that those men who served Baal cried, pleaded, begged, cut themselves, danced around, and Baal never answered And yet when Elijah called out, God sent down fire out of heaven, consumed the fire on the altar, the altar and the water that was in the trench around the altar. Oh, they knew who was the true God. Elijah then commanded that they slay the prophets of Baal, and they did. But what happens from that is Jezebel hears of it and says, that man's going to die. Elijah's responsible for taking all these prophets of Baal and having them killed. I'm going to kill him. Elijah runs. He goes south. He first stops in Beersheba. But then he continues on to flee all the way to the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Horeb where the children of Israel receive the law. I want you to notice with me chapter 19, verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, listen carefully to the question, What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Go to verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Do you understand that here is a man who withstood 450 prophets of Baal and put them to shame and now he's running from a woman? What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, Elijah's protest was exactly the same thing as it had been earlier. It's just me. There's nobody but me. And I'm standing alone facing all of this challenge. In verse 18, he said, Yet I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, get up. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Get back to where you ought to be and do the job that I gave you to do. 
You see the crisis of confidence in this man's life. As I go further through the Old Testament, I come to the life of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a young man. God called him to be a prophet to the nations. And yet when God calls Jeremiah, Jeremiah's response is not necessarily what one would expect. It says, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I am a youth. I cannot speak, I'm a youth. But the Lord said, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. About halfway back on the right-hand side of this part of the auditorium are a number of our young people. It would be very easy for these young people to say, hey, we're just young people. There's not much we can do. God said to Jeremiah, don't say I'm a youth. Don't look at your age as prohibitive from you taking on a task. Let me give you one more and then we'll move on. In John chapter 20, after our Lord rose from the dead, He appeared to the apostles, but there was one of them who was not present. His name was Thomas. When the other apostles said, the Lord has risen, Thomas didn't believe them. Notice with me, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. Then Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He says, I give up. I give in. I've lost my faith. I've lost my confidence. You're going to have to prove it to me. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. And look at my hands, reach your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Sometimes we want people to make the job so easy for us that it really doesn't take a whole lot of confidence and faith. And Jesus said, Thomas, blessed are the people who have not seen and believed. They take what is stated that is proven from God and they accept it. Now, one of the reasons why we don't accept the message and why we don't shoulder the task, why we're not confident is because we have a defense mechanism in us that says, I can't do this, I don't know how to do this, I'm not good at doing this. And what it ends up being is a deflection by saying, I really don't want to do that. When someone comes to you and asks you, can you teach a class? When someone who comes to you and says, will you go with me to visit this person? We often try to find excuses because we lack confidence. And we try to deflect, just like Moses did. Part of this is a denial of the divine. That is, we are failing to appreciate God's involvement in this. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit. It's a distraction. 
because we're not focusing on the right thing. Just like Peter, instead of focusing on the Lord, focused on the waves. Very easy to allow ourselves to get discouraged. Let's talk about some encouragement for a moment. When God says, I need somebody, what are we going to say? Find somebody else like Moses did? Or will we do what Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 and verse 8? And I heard from a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. I love it. I'm going to tell you, I really love it when we have our meeting for Vacation Bible School. And we say, who all is going to volunteer to teach? The hand goes up. Who will work? Who will serve? Who will go? Who will do? Do you know when David stood on the side of the mountain where the children of Israel were encamped and everybody else is shaking and saying, we don't think we can face this giant. you know what David did? I'll do it. You acknowledge God's plan and God's involvement. I think about the children of Israel as they were prepared to enter the promised land. When you get to Deuteronomy, you have the second statement of the law. You have the new generation that are getting the encouraging words. You can go in and you can possess this land. And I like the way that God answers in Deuteronomy 7 verse 17. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? Then you should not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So you shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples to whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send a hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified by, of them for the Lord your God The great and awesome God is among you. Oh, you mean I can depend on God? Yes, you can depend on God. When I think about God speaking to some people like Ananias, do you remember God told Ananias to go to Saul, also called Paul? And you've got to remember what kind of a man Saul was. Saul was a man who was making havoc of the church, imprisoning and beating those who were Christians. Acts 9.13, Then Ananias said, answered, Lord, I've heard how from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Lord, are you sure you want me to go? Listen to verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias, I've given you a job. Go, I'm going to be with you. I've got a plan in mind. You know, when the Lord sent Peter to the household of Cornelius... 
there had to be a lot of doubt in Peter's mind. May a Jew go to a Gentile's home? There's not been any Gentiles converted before this. Oh yeah, there's been some converts to Judaism that have been converted, but here's a man who's a pure Gentile, an uncircumcised man. In Acts 10, 20, Rise therefore and go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Chapter 11, verse 12, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. When God gives us a job, we don't say, Will it work? It will work if God gave us that task. I hear some people sometimes talk about things like church discipline. Last Sunday morning as we sat in the congregation there at Fayette, Alabama and listened to Brother Larry Five teaching on 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he addressed the subject of church discipline and how so many people will say, well, it won't work. Brethren, if God gave us the task, it will work. We've just got to do what he tells us to do. When you go to Luke 24, the access to the word. In Luke 24, 25, he said, Oh, foolish ones, and slow to believe in all the, the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded them things, in them the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And you get to verse 38. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? If we would just spend more time reading God's Word, accessing it, we would have greater encouragement. Which leads me to the final point, and that is expectation. Now here's why many of us struggle. Someone comes to us and asks us to do a job in the service of the Lord's kingdom. And we think, I can't do it. I don't have the ability. The Lord says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Matthew 28, 18, verses 19 and 20, chapter 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. He's going to be with us. You listen to Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He said, For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Do you believe that God in giving us is able to do what we need to be doing? 2 Peter 2 and verse 9 says, The Lord knows how. Colossians 1 and verse 29, To this end I labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Or Ephesians 3 verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Oh, 
Paul, you start saying, do you mean that the Lord will be with us as we accomplish His work? Absolutely. Our problem is a crisis of confidence is like Peter stepping out on that water and he's thinking, I've got to do this myself. It wasn't by Peter's ability that he walked on that water. And someone says, but we don't live in the age of the miraculous. No, we don't. But God's providential care is still effective in this world. And when we no longer trust God, then worry sets in. And that's the reason why Matthew 8, verse 26, Matthew 14, 31, Matthew 16, verse 8, all say, O you of little faith. When we worry, we, we have this idea that God doesn't care about me. He won't take care of me. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 30, going through verse 33, he speaks about the clothes that one wears. He says, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is tomorrow's thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. God sees what we need. Will he provide? Absolutely. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you you have to believe in your leader I think about David walking down into that valley of Elah and you think about David and the other men that were behind him did David go in with doubt, discouragement and despair Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Go and the Lord be with you. You know, at times we're going to fail. I do and you do. There's going to be times when we let this confidence wane and fall. We, we take our eyes off of the Lord. According to Matthew 16, verse 18, though the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I can tell you something. In the end, God's people win. You can see that in the book of Revelation. You can see it all throughout the New Testament. I think I want to use one last illustration from Luke chapter 22. This event was very significant. There was a battle in front of Peter. The Lord that night in which he was betrayed told all the apostles, all of you are going to betray me. And they all protested, no, we won't, no, we won't, we won't betray you. The Lord looked at Peter and said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. He wants to put you under the test. See how well you will do, Peter. And then the Lord's response, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
Oh, Peter, you're going to fall. You're going, you're going to make your mistake. But he said, I know you can come back. I know that you can, when you return to me, you can strengthen your brethren. For just a moment, think about what David did and the profound impact of the confidence, the courage, and the conviction that he had. When he walked down into the valley of Elah and he faced Goliath, he didn't just slay a giant. He gave confidence and courage to Israel. And they routed the Philistines. Sometimes all it takes is one of us standing up and saying, Here am I, send me. And somebody else will say, Count me in too. I'll be glad to be a participant. And the kind of courage and the conviction that took place in the Valley of Elah can take place in the congregation at Bobby Branch. We've just got to make our minds up individually that we're not going to allow ourselves to be intimidated by the enemy. We're not going to allow ourselves to be distracted by the world and all of its difficulties. We're going to enter the battle and we're going to fight for the Lord and we're going to win. Tonight, or this morning, I'm sure that in the audience we have people who need to be baptized. You may be a younger person, you may be an older person, but I'm confident we have people here that need to come and say, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. If you'll come forward, we will stop everything else. We'll allow you to state that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we'll baptize you. The Lord then adds you to His kingdom, to His church, to His body. You can leave this place with a clear conscience, knowing that you are ready to meet the Lord. And it's very possible here today that some of us have given up and given in. And we've let the devil win in our own lives and... Folks, if that's the case, you need to come back and be restored. You may not have come this morning thinking that that was what you were going to do today. But if God's Word convicts you and convinces you you need to make a change in your life, then don't put that off. If you need to be restored or need to become a Christian, please come while together we stand and sing.